fantastic. I just want to say again how blessed uh, this church is just to have so many young people. The church that I worship in in Perth, we're in a similar situation to you. We've got lots of families and lots of young people, but there's a lot of churches that don't have the blessing of youth and aren't able to pass on all their knowledge and all their skills. So if anybody feels like they want to volunteer for children's ministry, uh, speak to Brenda or myself or Nathan. Um, we'd love to have you in there teaching them showing some of the wisdom of God that you've learned throughout your journeys. So let's prepare our hearts. Uh, we're going to confess our sins before the Lord. Uh, many of you will be familiar with this type of prayer. So when I say, Lord have mercy or Christ have mercy, you say it back to me. Okay? Faithful God, we are your children, made equal in your sight and love. But we confess that we have been selfish and lacked love. Renew your spirit within us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You have entrusted to us the gospel of truth and salvation, but we confess our failure to share your word through fear and inaction. Renew your spirit within us. Christ, have mercy. You have walked with us in the way of righteousness, but we confess we have turned aside and refused your trust. Renew your spirit within us. Lord, have mercy. Holy God, holy and strong, holy and immortal, have mercy on us. Amen. So we open ourselves up ever deeper to him and we're assured that he's with us. He's walking every step of our lives with us. So today I'm going to continue the journey through Exodus that we've been taking as a church. So as you remember, Exodus is primarily about these divine promises, this divine relationship. God's forming a deep relationship with his people. He commissions their leader and he places his powerful hand over them. And it, as they journey out of that slavery and towards the promised land, um, he continually blesses them and he curses their enemies. So we've reached chapter eight, so we're getting there, and are now amid the narrative of the 10 plagues or signs of Egypt. So let's hear that chapter now. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all of your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched his hand out over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up onto the lands of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave, it to, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, 
except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, said Pharaoh. Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you, will, you may know there is no one like our Lord, the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Moses, that left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses or Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on the people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. And when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on the people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send a swarm of flies on you and your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies, even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace, into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices for the Lord our God as he commands us. The Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave. Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh, prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also Pharaoh's heart hardened. He would not let the people go. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. 
So in chapter 7, uh, last week we heard that the staff was once again turned into a snake and the waters of the Nile were turned to blood. And here we have plagues of frogs and gnats and flies. And the intention of the story is clearly to show there's no limit to the power of the Lord God of Israel. And he's going to exercise that power in every way. And he's going to choose it to defend his people there in Egypt. Not even the greatest political power of the time, as Egypt's meant to symbolize here in the story, can withstand God's determination to release them from oppression. His will cannot be frustrated. So the Egyptians, like lots of pagan cultures, worship sort of natural phenomena. They worship a wide variety of nature gods and attribute powers of those natural phenomena to those gods around them. So the plague narratives are deliberately designed uh, by the author, by God, to show that it's the God of Israel who's in control. It's his power that makes these natural phenomena. So frogs are judgment on the frog-headed goddess of birth, and they're sacred to the Egyptians. Uh, they can't be killed, so there's a little joke there that maybe we don't get, that they're surrounded by them. They're like cows for Hindus today. And gnats are to be a judgment on Set, the god of desert storms, and flies, a judgment on Uchet, the, the fly god. Each time God shows Pharaoh the falsehood of his beliefs in these fake gods and offers him the chance to let his people go. So the Bible, it teaches us that names and faces change, but the fallen nature of human beings remains. Sin is ever present. Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble. And in this section, we hear about these Israelites in trouble under the yoke of a tyrant. As been said before by Nathan, by me, by lots of people, there's no irrelevant story from long ago. It's extremely relevant to our world today. Parts of our world are in trouble. And God is acting in those moments, just as he was acting in the story we heard today. As Christians, we know this Exodus event is part of the divine plan of our sovereign Lord. And we're to continue to pray into the current events for grace, for mercy, for wisdom, for the peace of God to come, for it to be very evident, for him to show himself as the one who's in control of all creation. So in the story, it might, it might appear that Pharaoh's playing a game with Moses and the Israelites. It's every time uh, he frustrates them, he says, oh, I'll let you go, he agrees, and then he says, oh, well, actually, no. So each episode echoes the predictions that God gave in chapters 4 and chapter 7, and it concludes with that explicit reference of the hardening, or a better translation perhaps is strengthening of Pharaoh's heart. So in chapters 7, 8, and 9, we hear that Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and then later in the narrative, which we're going to come to in 10 to 14, we hear that the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. Each time he digs his heels in, he refuses to do what he doesn't want to do. So some of the commentators say that Pharaoh wants to release the Israelites and God's somehow preventing him from doing that. But the, the text clearly, it doesn't say that. It, by strengthening his heart, God's just enabling him to remain true to his own inner convictions. It's important to observe that the hardening also, it only comes after the hardship's removed, after that pressure comes off. So we can't tell if Pharaoh's lying deliberately or if he simply just changes his mind once the plagues have gone. So many people do turn to God in times of calamity. When things get better, they almost immediately turn back, 
harden their hearts to God. So Pharaoh is not an unusual example of humanity. He's like many, most of us, ancient or modern. And God knew that Pharaoh would resist and still gave him chance after chance to repent and let those people go. In the end, God bends Pharaoh's evil uh, to his own purposes and he lures Pharaoh to his own destruction. As God continues to exert that pressure on Pharaoh bit by bit, tightening the screw, we see the role of these magicians and, and their courtiers and their advisors to the king of Egypt. And at first they're able to match Moses and Aaron, blow for blow, they make their staffs into snakes, they turn water to blood, uh, they, make, they can make a plague of frogs, but I'm not sure how that would help, there already was one. So in the end they reach the limit of all those tricks. Uh, they can't seem to reverse anything that God's done uh, or make it stop. And it's clear, it's not, it's not clear, sorry, whether they're cheap conjurer tricks. Uh, the extent of them maybe does suggest some kind of occult supernatural. But if, if, if that is the case, we can only note that the power of Satan is extremely limited. It comes to its limit very early in the story. So Pharaoh has to ask Moses and Aaron to make the frogs disappear. And then in verse 18, the magicians can't repeat the feat. They can't produce gnats. And in verse 19, they attempt, <laughs> attempt to make Pharaoh see sense. They say, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh doesn't listen. They're telling him, who's meant to be the personification of a God, a, a God on earth, that this work is God. Uh, and he's not on our side. And we're, we can't overcome him. So I just want to remark on the bravery of these men. Say, oh, excuse me, excuse me, Mr. Pharaoh, every power that you and we were pretending to have and be, these men are and possess. And they haven't suddenly converted to Judaism. They don't mean Yahweh, but they are acknowledging a power greater than any power they serve, anything that they can do as a source of those plagues and as the sponsor of Moses. And we're to read that God is powerful in the extreme and firmly in the Israelite camp. But once again, hearts are hardened. So even if his priests, his advisors, people in his court, are giving up the struggle, this supposed incarnate God, Pharaoh himself, he's not gonna do that. He's brought up from childhood to believe he's more than a man. And for the time being, he's, we, we would feel he's still encouraged in his stand by some of his state officials, by some of his extended family, although, we don't hear from them. Many of them probably didn't believe that he is actually a deity, but they see in it their best guarantee to hold on to their earthly power, their own authority. So perhaps somewhere in our world today, advisors are starting to tell their leaders, there's no victory to be had here. We've been found out we cannot win. And forces we don't understand can't control are aligned against us. And perhaps as a consequence of the fallen nature of man, others still are supporting their leaders in order to hold on to their own power and authority. The biblical truth that we see here is the universal nature of sin, the power, the corruption of power. Again, as Christians, we're to know it's all part of God's divine plan. He is in control. Our sovereign Lord is in charge and we're to continue to pray to act for this bravery to happen and for God to show himself as the one who's in control of all creation 
Notably, we don't hear from Pharaoh or his court about any concern for the plight of his people at all. These inconveniences are only seen as challenges to his own power, authority, his own rule. The story we know uh, ends in tragedy for those Egyptian people. In a final terrible act, their firstborn are killed, their army, men, sons, husbands, fathers, is destroyed by our God in the sea. This casual disregard for the people of Egypt from their rulers stands in direct contrast to the immense regard that God is showing for his people then and now. The divine promise of relationship is there for all to see. And that promise given in Exodus 6 is being lived out. Let me just read that to you now. Therefore I say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. We are a redeemed people, redeemed by the richness of God's grace and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, our savior. The Exodus narrative is part of that redemption history, but we're not Jews. We have the New Testament and the final act in redemption history in the life and death of Christ. The redemption history, this story is part of will end with God reconciling all things to himself. And these passages we read in the Old Testament in, here in Exodus, where another ethnic group is subject to God's divine wrath, just because they're not part of the nation or family of Israel, can be quite difficult for our ears to hear. Something that many Christians have and will struggle with. In the light of the gospel, in the words and actions of Jesus and his disciples, the suffering and death of Israel's enemies is something we should find difficult to reconcile. We're never to give up on people, to love them in the midst of their indiscretions, particularly people like these Egyptians, subject to the whims of a madman, punished because of his refusal to bow before the will of God. These people have no agency over their lives. The dictator for life is calling the shots, and they're going to take the punishment. So I would ask us as a church to keep the people of Russia in our prayers. The sanctions placed on that country now due to the actions of their leader will lead to immense hardship. To become a pariah state like North Korea, mean a collapsing economy, leaving many unable to afford food, power, there'll be no work. A collapsing state is something we should not revel in. A modern day Pharaoh bringing plagues on his own people due to the failure to see the truth and relent. We, as Christians, as the Church of God founded by Christ and blessed by the gift of the Holy Spirit, must pray for our enemies. We must entreat God to bless them with his presence and his love. The result of this plague in the ancient world is that by the time the Israelites leave Egypt, they've got a clear picture of God's power, of his protection, of his plan, for them. 
the ancient people of the region are now in dread of the God of Israel. We look back on these events today and confirm our faith in, our fear of, this true and living God, the judge of all the earth. Let's pray now. Lord our God, you are the creator of all things. Snow and hail and frost, the ice of winter as well as the warmth of summer. And we marvel at the mysteries of your providence in the shaping of our world. You have your own ways of working things out, of bringing peace within our world, of bringing down tyrants, of lifting up the humble and meek. We bless you for your justice, which is better than ours. We bless you for your good purposes, which are wiser than ours. We bless you for the future, which is your gift to us. Help us to live in hope, not fear, in love, not cynicism, in resolution, not despair. For Jesus Christ, our Savior's sake. Amen.